Sweet. Matthew Montes, welcome to the uh, Art of Action podcast. Uh, I don't know if you even knew the name. So if it's cheesy, let me know offline. You can laugh at me. Pretty cheesy initially, it's but it'll be all right. Nice to be emojis. here. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. So uh, this is a little bit different from what I usually do. Um, the whole point of the channel was to kind of um, pick a topic, meditate on it, kind of uh, share your thoughts with, you know, whoever um, I'm speaking with um, and, and kind of get an outsider's perspective, right? Just more personal growth oriented, but I would be remiss to um, completely dismiss, man, I'm good, um, to dismiss personal finance, right? As being a, a large part of your personal growth or just something that can inhibit it. So um, I know you're a huge finance guy um, and you know, I care nothing about money, which is why this, right. This is, which is why this is so important to me. So, um, I don't want, uh, to, to let this go by without you getting to introduce yourself. So go, go ahead, man. Yeah. I'm a little offended. You didn't talk about how long we've been friends. Yeah. We've been friends since high school and didn't mention that. <sighs> that it's all right. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So like Aaron said, my name's, uh, Matt Montes. I, um, I graduated from UT Austin in 2014. I have a educational background in finance and accounting. And now I've been in the IT finance, what we call like the FinTech space of, um, of IT for about the last seven years. And my main function is implementing software, but implementing financial software. And I think that's kind of the theme of what we're going to talk about today is finance from a business perspective is way, way different than finance from a personal perspective. So that's really what I want to kind of talk about is how I got started understanding personal finance, kind of my journey a little bit, and then some of the tips and tricks that I've, um, that I've gotten to build and, and grow on along the way. So, uh, and one thing that I really like, right, is that I'm not going and talking to some damn financial, well, I, I don't want to say you're not a financial expert, right? But it's like, you know, uh, a, a money dude, right? I, I'm talking to somebody that's actively putting these things into work. Um, mm-hmm. And I and I appreciate that because I think this whole journey for personal growth type, this is a whole, the financial piece is this a whole other train track uh, of its own journey. So I think this will be awesome. But yes, I didn't forget. We've been yeah. friends for like, I don't know, like 30 years or something like that. Something like that. Uh, been a long time. Uh, and it, and I've always watched you, right? And I'm like, man, I wonder what's Matt's doing. And because uh, I have no idea because he doesn't text me back or answer any calls. Um, you actively decline calls and say, hey, what's up? Just to drive me nuts. Um, but it's been, yeah, it's been a long time, man. And, and I'm, I definitely treasured the relationship that we have. And I want to keep that going, especially since I think that we're going, we're both going in a really good trajectory. So yeah. Awesome, man. Yeah. So um, the way I want to start it uh, and my goal, I should say, is to kind of outline three scenarios, um, two, two big scenarios, but maybe four financial goals, we'll say um, based around these scenarios um, that I hope will be helpful to, uh, to other people. I know it surely will be helpful to me. Um, I've mixed in, um, a little bit of my financial situation. Uh, so I secretly get something out of this. So I think it'd be awesome. Um, so with that being said, um, and, and your background in the 
fintech that was actually kind of, i had never heard of that before and it kind of is kind of a cool name i knew y'all had to mm-hmm. give a snazzy little name to it so um <laughs> you know and i and i gave you the questions beforehand so none of these catch you off guard i hope um but you know kind of talk me through what your definition of financial literacy and, and your outlook uh-huh. on what this is to you yeah so I'm going to go back to what you said first earlier, and it is a good disclaimer, right? I'm by no means a financial expert. A lot of what I'm going to talk about today or the things that you and I are going to talk about have been sourced from one of two places. One, from literally me working my way on my own financial journey, doing research and tweaking and adjusting what I think makes the most sense for my situation. Or two, books or podcasts or YouTube videos that I followed along, right? And so inherent in both those, I think, and the theme for today that I really want to hit is everybody's financial journey is different. And what works for me and what works for you is not necessarily what works for somebody else. So you have to be able to take some of the key points that we're going to talk about today figure out what's actionable and grow from there and figure out what basically make your own blueprint or make your own plan, right? So just because I did one thing and you did another doesn't necessarily mean that's exactly what you have to do. So back to your question, what financial literacy means to me in the simplest form, I think financial literacy is understanding your financial means and your limits and understanding the money that you have coming in, the money that you have coming out, And then the money that you have in general, how that money can grow or build or where that money is obligated to go. That to me is is, is, at the simplest way I can put it is understanding your financial situation, money in, money out, and what your money's doing when it's coming either in or out. If we drill down into that a little bit more, to me, financial literacy, the next layer would be understanding your financial goals. So it's one thing to understand how to be literate in finance, but then what is your goal? Is your goal to be debt-free? Is your goal to reach a certain amount of money in your retirement by a certain age? Is your goal to buy a brand new Tesla? Whatever your goal is, understanding that in conjunction with the money you have coming in and out, I think is the foundation to any key financial literacy or is the foundation to anybody being financially literate, if I if I can say it that way. So whenever I think of this um, financial literacy, right, or just just personal finances in general. Um, I think, um, right. Cause like I said, I don't, you know, I don't like the money stuff. So I always like equate it to something else. Um, and I would, I would say that it's being honest with yourself and honest with, with the habits that you have going forward. Right. So, um, you will say, Hey, you have this much coming in this much going out, whatever I would say, Hey, you are, uh, like I said, we'll, we'll equate it to fast food addiction or that you have this vice, be it uh, cameras with me. Um, I, I know that kind of triggers Monica, just me saying it, but um, <laughs> you know, your habits and the honesty with yourself, because so many people think that um, either I, I don't care about money or, hey, I'll worry about my retirement some other day, or it's really just not that important. Um, when I think a lot of um a lot of the things that we actually struggle with in life are all coming back to finances. Um, and again, that, that honest, honesty with yourself and, and your, your habits. And, and I know we'll kind of dig into that a little bit. So, um, so I, I hope that we're kind of, um, you're, you're the technical side. You actually, the subject matter expert, if you will, for this conversation. And uh, I'm going to be the dummy 
and I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to break it down Barney style as much as I can. Um, so I understand. So um, I want to start with our first scenario. Um, and with that being, you know, a financially stable, regular job, yeah. solid income. Um, and I want to begin towards building uh, financial, financial independence, right? Where should I start? And we'll, we'll say my education in, in financial literacy is, uh, we'll say medium, but we'll stick yep. with the uh, same as me. Don't really care. I have a retirement account that I'm putting in. Uh, don't keep track of it. Where do we okay. <clears throat> so I think regardless of your situation, you need to start with some sort of education or some sort of foundation to build off of. And education, that's a broad word, right? But understanding where you fit in your financial situation and then trying to educate yourself on the different components. So in this scenario, you said financially stable, solid income, building towards financial independence. Okay, mm -hmm. so financially stable most likely means you have a decent job and there most likely means that there's some sort of retirement program at your job. Understanding that retirement program, the benefits, if that company that you're working for offers retirement matching, and ultimately what the money you're contributing is being invested in. So that's one. We'll, we'll circle back to each of these. But I think the first one to truly understand is if you're financially stable, that means you have some sort of financial retirement program. Understanding the intricacies of that is going to be key. Second, if you're financially stable, this often means that you have what I like to refer to as free cash flow. Cash flow, free cash flow would be cash flow that is net or in excess of all of the money that you're obligated to pay for your debt, for your month-to-month -month bills, even the money that you're obligated to pay outside of all of your different budget items. And I think budgeting is a big theme that, that will probably break down in, in a couple questions. But any money you have left over from bills, from financial obligations, from your budget, whatever that number is, 500, 100, 1,000, whatever, where is that money going? And what is that excess money trying to serve in the next six months, one year, two year? Is that money going to savings? Is that money going to investments in the market? Is that money going to a college fund for your kids? Is that money going to uh, an account that you're being uh, that you're saving up to buy a house, right? Where is your free cash flow going? That's the second one. And then second or thirdly, um, what is the ultimate financial goal for you? That's the third one. What do you want to get out of your financial journey? You are financially stable. You have a solid income. You're probably in a better spot than a lot of most people. Where do you want to end up and what is your financial goal? I think those are the three questions or the three topics that you really need to think about, talk about, and figure out answers for to really begin um, your financial journey. So <clears throat> if we work our way back to the first, retirement. To me, when I was first starting out in my career, I didn't really understand the power of allocating money towards a retirement, that retirement being invested in the market, and that retirement being subject to what's called compounding interest. So what really kind of opened my eyes when it came to retirement is I was listening to a uh, podcast by Dave Ramsey, and he basically got a caller that called in, and the caller was giving him his financial situation, throwing around all these numbers, 
And without even using a calculator, Dave basically said, you'll have this amount of money when you're six. And then after the caller hung up, he explained that in general, if you take an amount of money and allocate it over eight years, that amount of money is going to double based on average compounding interest in the market. So a simple scenario, if you have 50 grand in your retirement at 30, at 38, without it contributing any more than that 50 grand, you're going to have 100 grand. Thinking about how over eight years, my money can double from 50 to 100. Well, now if you have 200, then that's 400,000, right? So that kind of opened my eyes to the power of retirement. And within that, that unlocked the sort of rabbit hole where I really started to understand what the benefit of retirement would be by me investing, but also the benefit of retirement from the company that I'm working for. So under a simple scenario, let's say you make $50,000 a year and you decide that you want to contribute 10% of that income, five grand over the course of the year. You may have a company that says, as long as you contribute X amount, I'll match. So under that scenario, if you contribute 10%, you're contributing five grand. If you work for a company that says, hey, I'll contribute up to 5%, then you're looking at $7,500 between you and your company. So they're basically giving you almost, or they're giving you half of what you contributed. So right there, that is building a solid foundation. And I had a friend who didn't understand this concept. And for five years, he was working for a company contributing, I believe, 8% to his retirement. Uh, but he never in, he was never enrolled in the company matching because he didn't fill out the paperwork. So he was missing out on basically a free 4% from his company. And when I explained to him the impact of that, he, he just couldn't believe it, right? So I think that out of the three that we're going to talk about, to me, that is the most important one because it's one of those things where you set it and forget it. You leave it alone. And then it becomes how much money ends up hitting my bank account. And you almost even forget that you're contributing to your retirement. And it's just thing that's growing and growing over time. So that's where I would start. And I think that's the most important thing for the novice or the beginner person embarking on their financial journey is understanding retirement from a personal perspective and understanding retirement and the options and the benefits from your career perspective. So let me play devil's advocate here, right? So um, first I want to ask you, whenever we're talking financial independence, you immediately went to retirement. Like we skipped all this time, right? And and I want to understand why. Yep. Yep. Okay. So it's a good question. And it may seem a little counterintuitive to think about something 30, 40 years down the road. But in reality, for me personally, and I think for a lot of the people who might be listening to this, you need to think about, again, how you're going to set yourself up for the future. Okay. Now, when you think about that, retirement has to come into play in some form or fact or some form or fashion. If, and you were very specific here, I'm financially stable. Mm -hmm. To me, I take that to mean that I have literal no debt or the debt that I do have is manageable. So I immediately skip to retirement under this scenario because I feel like I have a good grasp on my finances and I need to prioritize long-term investing. If I was not in as good of a financial situation, retirement would not have been the first thing I would have talked about. I would have talked about prioritizing, organizing my debt and building a budget so I can go back to 
what I said earlier, money in versus money out. So it's a very good question and I appreciate it because under this scenario, if you're financially stable, then you need to think about long-term. But if you're not, retirement maybe is not the first thing that you would go to. You would need to focus on the more immediate to free yourself up to then be able to build your retirement, if that makes sense. Okay. So the, the reason that I ask why we jump to immediately to retirement, what, would, what do you believe would be um, you know, bang for buck? Why wouldn't I just grab all this money and instead of investing it towards retirement, why wouldn't I invest into the S&P 500? Right? Like, yep. yep. <clears throat> so, well, one, company match. No matter what, you got to be able to contribute the minimum of what your company is going to match because that's free money. Now you could say, why would I not just match or just contribute what my company matches and then take the rest of that, add it to my free cash flow and do something else with it? And you might, you could, I do sometimes. But again, it comes back to what are your financial goals? Do you need money to grow free cash flow that's liquid that you can pull out without having to incur any penalties, which you would if you put it into your retirement and then had to pull it out? Do you need money readily available, what we would call liquid assets or liquid cash flow, for a future purchase, for a home, for a car, for a move? Um, for whatever you might be coming up in, in one, two to three years, if that scenario is applicable to you, then yes, it might make sense to contribute only what your company matches, take the rest, invest it in what we would call an index fund, which is modeled after the S&P or modeled after, not modeled after the NASDAQ, whatever. And then you will be investing in the market. And then at some point when you're ready to buy that house, when you're ready to buy that car, when you're ready to have that kid, then you can pull that money out and use it for sure. So again, it goes back to what are your financial goals? And that's why on my third point out of the three that we talked about, that's why I think it's important to understand where you want to go, because that's going to dictate where you should send your money. Okay. So to me, whenever, like I said, um, making it simple for me, it sounds like the um, going the retirement route versus the investment route with index funds it's more about building like a habit, set it and forget it, simple. And it takes minimal work, right? Because it, I guess same thing yes. with index funds as well. But that's just like money gone. And would you, would you say that it is also less risk than going to index? Mm. <clears throat> I would categorize it as less risk because you could definitely invest the funds in your retirement in a index fund account. Right. So I think that's one thing that maybe we should talk about just briefly is when you invest money in your retirement, you're investing in whatever options your company uh, is providing you. And those options could be index funds. They could be mutual funds. They could be what are called target date funds where you say, I'm going to retire by 2055. You pick the 2055 target date fund and it allocates that. And all that's doing is basically um, coming up with a different risk profile. So if you're going to retire later, it's higher risk. If you're going to retire sooner, it's lower risk. So you can choose what you invest your retirement in, much like you can choose what you invest in the market. How about we go about it this way and make it a pretty simple example. When I first graduated, I got a job, my first job in Houston, and I was living at home. And I was living with my parents. And I knew that the ultimate goal was in two years time to move out of my parents' house, get a job in Austin or move to Austin and buy my own house. That was my financial goal. That was my answer to my third question. Where do I want to go on my financial journey in the next one, two, three years? When I first moved into my parents' house, 
when I was figuring out what I wanted to do, the first six months, I was contributing 25% to my retirement. 25%. Every, basically every money that I had, every, any free capital that I had, I was sending it to my retirement. Because fortunately for me, my parents were allowing me to, to live there, you know, relatively free. Once I hit that six month mark and I realized that my goal was to move to Austin, I changed from contributing 25% to the 5% that my company matched. So now I had a 20% contribution difference. That then came straight to my, my free cash flow. And I took that money and I invested it in a, I think it was the S&P, let's just call it the S&P. And I started to allow that money to grow and work for me. Fast forward a year and a half later, that money that I had invested over time, I pulled out and I used that as the down payment on my home. So that was my financial goal. That's what I decided to do. And that's how I leveraged retirement to, to, to go there, right? So I think that's very important because let's say I realized I wanted to buy a house, but I kept contributing 25%. I would have had so much less cash. I would not have had that cash to invest in the market. And then maybe buying a home in a year and a half time, I'd have been buying a home in three years time, right? So again, it's very important where you want to go and what you want to do. So that's how I would equate it to a real life scenario. Okay. Yeah, that, that, that makes sense. That it just kind of caught my brain, right? We're like, all right, financial independence, retirement. And I was like, but what about all the other time, right? So I, I, that makes sense and I appreciate it. So now, um, and, and I, I, th- I believe you said this is your favorite question, right? Let's say I'm in the worst financial situation possible. High debt, no credits, no savings, no fourth out retirement. What can I do right now uh, to, to begin a journey to just a, a new life, right? We'll say the financial goal is to be like the guy above me, right? On the, on the second yeah. question, how do I just get to that level so I can begin? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm going to answer this question by rounding out the first. We talked about retirement. We're good there. We talked about my second point on the first question was free cash flow, right? Understanding what free cash flow you have is going to be pivotal to this next question that you just asked. How much free cash flow do I have in my bad debt situation? And then the third is always having a eye on where you want to go on your financial journey. So inherent in that, now we're switching to a completely opposite scenario. So I'm no longer financially stable. I no longer have a, a decent job. I'm in a really bad financial situation. Cash flow coming in is inconsistent and I have a good amount of debt. Okay. To assess this situation and where to start, I think it's it's going to be centered around two fundamental topics that you absolutely know and have heard of, but maybe don't fully understand. And it's budgeting and saving. Now, when I when I hear budgeting. I feel like a lot of people maybe just like roll their eyes. It's like, I don't need a budget. I know where I spend my money. Well, you might, but I guarantee you, you don't, right? You, right? you don't. And even for somebody who, who I would consider myself to be in, in a decent financial situation, I have a budget. I, I'm not in debt. I have free cash flow to invest. I'm contributing to my retirement, but I have a budget. Now, is that budget at, at a allocating for every single dollar level? No. But I have a budget and the budget that I have is bucketed around things that I spend, things that I know I need to pay, things that I have coming up. And that's very, very important. When I was first starting out and I was still in debt and I made a budget, I basically found four to $500 a month that I had that I was just spending on fast food 
or I didn't feel like making coffee that day, or I was out and about and I didn't feel like coming home and warming up leftovers, right? It all sounds very trivial. I, I get it, right? It's like, okay, you don't need to tell me how to eat or how to drink, but it makes a difference. And that $3 coffee, think about it. If you have a $3 coffee twice a week for four weeks, right? That's 25, 30 bucks, right? Sounds small, but those 25, 30 bucks over the course of a year turns into three, $400, right? That is a paycheck of contribution to your retirement, right? So when you think, start to think about things in those bigger picture, all right, so budgeting, that's the first, I think, to understanding when you're in a bad financial situation, understand a budget. And we'll talk a little bit about how to build a budget and where to start. The second thing, and it's going to sound so, so counterintuitive, I'm in a bad financial situation. Why should I consider saving? Why should I consider building the savings? And it's for the exact reason that you're in a financial situation that you should consider saving. Are you going to save enough to get you out of the financial situation? Probably not. But what saving is doing is it's serving as this sort of artificial habit that you're starting to build. And to me, that is the most important thing. As I mentioned in the beginning, we can talk about all of these concepts, but you are going to be the one to have to put it into action. You are going to have to be disciplined enough to take what you've read about, what you've heard about, what you've learned from this podcast and put it into action. And that's what saving does when you're in a bad situation is it builds a habit. It gives you that $75 that you might have left over at the end of the month. And instead of saying, I'm going to go out and buy a nice dinner, I'm going to put it in my savings account right? Building those habits are important. Okay. So you're in a bad financial situation. Where do you start? You start with budgeting and you start with saving. Budgeting in its simplest form, money in, money that you have coming in from whatever you're doing from a job perspective, money that you have coming out. Literally add up that number that you have coming in, look at your paycheck, add it up for the month. Look at all of the money you're sending out for bills and debt for the month, add it. What's the difference between that number that is your free cash flow. Okay. So for this scenario, let's just say that, that number is $500. Okay. After you've sent out everything that you owe, after you've gotten all the money you've gotten in, you have $500 left over. Understanding what to do with those extra $500 is the purpose of your budget, right? Your budget tells you what money you have left over. Then you have to take that number you have left over and figure out where to send it where to allocate it, all right? Now, most likely, if you're in a bad financial situation, you have some sort of debt. And you might say, I already paid my credit card statement for the month, or I already paid the minimum amount payment. Okay, but you have money left over. So out of that 500, let's take $100 and put it in your savings. Just put it in your savings, building that habit I talked about. Now you have $400 left over. Where are you gonna send that $400? Logical value is that you need to send it to the debt that you have with the highest interest rate. And that might be the case. And there's tons of schools of thought here. For me personally, where I would send it is to the lowest amount of debt that you have and why. So let's say you have three forms of debt and you have one debt at $1,000, okay? You can send an extra $400 to that $1,000 debt and damn near cut it in half. Then Next month, when you do your budget, you have the same $500 left over. You send another 100 to savings. You send the extra 400 you have. Now, in two months' time, that $1,000 debt is down to 200 bucks. Okay? So then, third month comes in. You clear that debt, and you actually have $200 left over after you've already contributed another $100 to your savings. So in three months' time, you've allocated $300 to your savings. You've cleared off $1,000 of debt and you have $200 left over that month to do, to do something else with. Now, 
let's say that you were already sending $25 a month to that $1,000 debt, right? Now that debt's gone. So now you have a free $25 to do whatever you want. So now you have $225, attack the next lowest that you have. So on and so on and so on. So when you get to that fourth month, now you had those $400 left over and you have the extra $25 you cleared up from the $1,000 debt. Now you have $425 in that fourth month to send to your next lowest debt, right? And this is a popular concept. I'm not inventing it. I think Dave Ramsey is the one who, who's made it the most famous and it's called the snowball effect. You eliminate your lowest debt, you free up your free cash flow, and you start to roll and roll and roll, working your way from lowest debt to highest debt. Okay? That's the purpose of the budget to attack your debt. And that's the purpose of saving is to help build good financial habits. And it may sound counterintuitive to save while budgeting. So maybe you don't save. Maybe you were in a really, really bad financial situation and you can't afford that $100 a month. Fine, I'm okay with it. But be disciplined enough that when you get into a better financial situation, when you've eliminated a debt or two, be disciplined enough to take that money that you feel like you're comfortable enough saving and save it instead of spending it on superficial items. That is how I would approach somebody in a bad financial situation. Long-winded answer, I understand. So, so let me give you a chance to, to come in here. But it's something that's really, really personal to me because I, I certainly wasn't in a bad financial situation. My financial situation can be summarized into just an enormous amount of college debt. And I'm grateful for being able to go to a decent college and get a great education and one may even say that I'm here because of my education, but looking at the number that I was looking at from a college loan perspective after graduating was so daunting and so intimidating. And yes, fortunately, I was able to live with my parents and, and get off to a decent start, but it, I don't want it to come from a perspective of like, oh, well, you sound like you're in a good financial situation. You don't understand. No, no, no. I was in a, a bad financial situation where I had to climb my way out of a lot of debt from my student loans. And so I understand that perspective and it's doable and it's doable through the most fundamental things that we're talking about today. You just have to be willing to do it. Right. So whenever you started talking about budgeting immediately in my brain, right? Cause you, like you said, it's a simple, simple concept. Um, and I see it in a lot of people when I ask them, you know, Hey, I want to lose some weight. Okay. Well, what's your diet look like? Ah, it's not too bad. And all right, well, let's, let's count it. What did you eat last week? And they'll tell me and they will forget the creamer and forget the ranch and forget the ketchup or eat all the little things that I would say is. I absolutely I love that analogy. I love that analogy right? because it's. Yeah. And it, it has slapped me in the face before, because I remember when I was trying to get in on this little bodybuilding kick I had, and I'm like, I always hit my protein. No way. No way. I don't hit it. Right. And then you realize quality of protein. And I started adding up what I was really getting. And you're like, holy shit, I am so under, no wonder I'm under hundred pounds, right? No wonder I'm so tiny because I, I'm not actually, when I, when I applied myself and started really being honest and looking at what I was eating, it was trash. It was trash. I was basically just like, um, giving myself more energy to burn and I'm not making any progress, which is what I was thinking immediately when you said student loans. I think in a realistic perspective, um, and, and it's, you know, I'm thinking of it because I had thought about it that way. Well, I'll keep, you know, what, what's, how much is due? Okay. Well, I'll keep paying that. I'll keep paying that. And right. I'm like, why do people complain about student loans? This is so easy. Look at that. I threw this 175. Here we go. 
chipping away at it. And then I went in and looked how much I still owed, you know, four or five years later, and I owed more. And I was like, holy shit. So that was like, boom, wake up call. Right. Um, and, and I think that that honesty with yourself and really taking a look at those habits, right. Opened everything up. Now, when I look at it in a, in this scenario, worst scenario ever, right. Worst financial situation uh, possible. What I'm, what I'm trying to think to make it realistic rather than idealistic is what if my kids want this or that? Yeah. And now I'm taking a look at that free cash flow and it starts squeezing and squeezing, right? Especially because I'm not sure in the budget scenario that we're talking, if gas or food Mm -hmm. are are implemented, right? So it seems like more changes to habit start surfacing, right? It starts um, rather than just looking at savings or budgeting. Now we're really looking at like your way of life and your... um, kind of the uh financial situation that you choose that you've chosen to be in um so can you expand on that a little bit um how do i handle being realistic about it right i know we can we can obviously go to the buckle down for a year and just be the strict as you possibly can and probably pretty damn um pretty damn sad right which is a very bland you know life no spice. What does it look like in a realistic mm-hmm. scenario? Yeah. <clears throat> so to be clear, when I talk about a budget, I, I do include gas, groceries, eating out, and maybe you have a birthday month, whatever it is. I include all of that in there. However, there's still that impulse. My kid really wants this new toy, or I really like this new shirt that's coming out. There's those impulses. That's the way of life. And the, the way you choose to live your life is sort of like this superficial mechanism that allows you to either have more or less money per month, right? And it's very, very easy to want to splurge or spend money to either add to your lifestyle, add to your child's lifestyle, add to people you love's lifestyle. And that's perfectly fine totally human and totally realistic. And I would encourage you to do that, but it comes in moderation. Okay. And in, in some of the prep that you and I were doing for this podcast, I really like what you said, because you, you mentioned that, that you and, and your wife, Monica, and, and your new daughter, Sophia, you're starting to tackle your financial journey in sort of like a game. It's like, when we get to this point, we're going to reward ourselves. And when we get to this point, we're going to reward ourselves. So, so I, would even, you know, almost cheating here a little bit, take the approach you're doing. And I would say that that's probably the best way to go about it. It's because if you think of your financial journey in terms of, I need to get out of X amount of debt in two years, and that's all you ever think about it, you think about it two years down the road and the amount of debt looming over your head, it's going to be such an uphill daunting battle. You have to have points in between where you celebrate the success that you've made thus far, just like anything. Just like you would in a career, just like you would in life, just like you would with your family, you have to celebrate the little moments. And maybe that little moment is you don't send $100 to your savings, or maybe you you pay $50 less on the payment that you owe, still meeting the minimum, but maybe you, you, you splurge a little, and that's fine, but it has to come in moderation. 
and you have to keep both the smaller and bigger picture in mind. Whenever I was working my way to, to get out of student loans and, and student debt, I would, I'm an avid traveler. I love to travel. And for me, my reward was going to be some kind of weekend trip somewhere in the U.S. at least a couple times a year in the beginning. And what I would do is I would keep an eye on where I've gone. And every three or four months, I would take a, a, a chunk of money and put it aside. Money that I should have been sending to debt, yes, fine, but I would put it aside. And that would be my reward when I got to X amount left on my student loans. And then my next, my next, right? So I think the best way to go about it is to, to keep an eye on the bigger picture, but also take things in moderation and appreciate the progress you're making along. Okay. Yeah, I appreciate it. Um, going back to what you said about savings, right? Even in the worst financial situation possible, when you're talking savings, everything that was going through my brain was like crisis management, crisis management, crisis management, right? So something happens. So let's take my scenario. Uh, I'm driving through Harlingen. I never get into accidents because I'm the most cautious and alert driver there is on the road. Um, we're passing by this accident and I'm not even, I'm not even being like full of shit. I am the best. And so, <laughs> so we're passing by this accident. Um, and I have this guy next to me, big ass truck. And I'm in my little Mazda and he's just like, getting closer, getting closer, rubbernecking, right? Uh, and I'm honking, boom, hits my car, whatever. Now, here's the mess up. I should have been gone, technically, at that time, at that date, I should have already been gone to Japan, right? In, in um, the way my plan was supposed to go, right? So my insurance is at the highest deductible, almost the highest deductible uh, possible because I should have been gone. Totally forgot. Boom, whatever. Um, now I have an incidental random big slap in the face right after Christmas holidays, thousand dollar bill. Boom, just slap in the face. Right. Um, I think the realistically, the only way I was able to recover from that was because I had already had a rainy day fund set up. Right. And I'm still dealing with that right now. But when, when we're thinking of the worst financial situation possible, I think immediately something like that, like yeah, a, a car accident, something I can't control um, for the most part or right. right death in the family, um, house fire. Right. And I, and, but these are all the worst cases, worst cases um, you can imagine. But I think that building that habit of saving, that would be what I'm looking towards Um in, in the, in the case. So I just wanted to highlight that piece. That's what stood out to me the most. Is there something that I didn't get to, that you didn't get to discuss when we're talking um, worst case scenario possible in a realistic sense? Because I know what you really, it comes down to discipline, like whether we like it or not, it it has to come down to that until you get to the I'm financially stable, et cetera, that we talked about in the second question. That's, that's why I really loved your your dieting analogy because it, it dieting and, and budgeting, the most common thread there is discipline. You have to be disciplined. You have to understand what you're putting in your body. You have to understand the money you have coming in, right? You have to understand, and you know, it, it's it's so simplistic that it almost makes it complex. So no, I think I think we hit all the points there. What I will say is if you do some research, so maybe some action items for the people listening. I've mentioned Dave Ramsey a couple of times. And if I haven't, I've alluded to some of the stuff um, that that he teaches. 
And like I said, I don't follow one specific person. I take techniques from everyone and I apply it to what my financial situation is. But look at YouTube, spend 30 minutes a day, an hour a week, whatever time you have. Look at people like Dave Ramsey. Look at people like Suze Orman, Peter Lynch, Benjamin Graham, all of these people who are sort of world famous or iconic financial advisors. A lot of them differ in so many ways. But if you really look at them, and you were to sort of make a Venn diagram, what's gonna be in the middle is budgeting, saving, and what you just said, a rainy day fund. And a rainy day fund has many forms. It could be a rainy day fund to support you over the course of three to six months. But if you're in a really, really bad financial situation, all of those people I just mentioned will tell you to build a thousand or $2,000 even if that means you're making the minimum payments on all of your debt for those three, four, five, six months to allow you to build that up four situations exactly like that. Because the worst possible thing is you get into a, a, a worse life situation, like you said, which is as bad as it is, it's life. It's realistic, right? Mm-hmm. If you reach that situation, the worst possible thing would be for you not to have enough money to pay the minimum on all of your debt, because then you're getting into going delinquent on your credit. And then you're talking about affecting your credit score. And then you're talking about the long-term effects of you being able to do something with good credit. So what they'll tell you, all of those people I mentioned, Benjamin Graham, Peter Lynch, Suze Orman, Dave Ramsey, is they'll tell you that even if you're in a bad financial situation, you need some sort of bucket of cash up to the side for just-in-case moments. Got it. I'm writing it down just in case for a rainy day. Uh, I was thinking the way you said it, right? The, it kind of turned into like the opposite snowball effect, where instead of it being snow, it was like more of a shit ball, right? So um, I, I could see that. And then all of a sudden, yeah, everything starts getting affected, right? So awesome, man. I appreciate that. Now, looking at my last question, um, and to me, this was kind of like my favorite one, because the, the other ones were more scenario-based, but this one is is more what we what we're looking at uh, for actionable top healthy habits for building a financial lifestyle um, and and what that looks like going forward. Uh, I know it's going to end up, it's probably going to end up being a little bit of rehashing, but it'll be more of like a too long. Didn't listen, listen to these points is what it, you know, is what I kind of imagine it to be. So. Yeah. And I think so maybe for the sake of not rehashing, let's take what we've talked about so far and, and, um, put it into some takeaway themes, yeah? And then you can kind of apply these themes to the different strategies or techniques that, that we've talked about, let's say. So top habits for building a healthy financial lifestyle. Be consistent in whatever you're doing. Mm-hmm. Be consistent. Start somewhere. Don't live beyond your means. But at the same time, don't hesitate to treat yourself along the way. And then from a technique perspective, if I could bring one thing in here from a technique perspective and turn it into a theme, is always, 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 always understand the money you have coming in versus the money you have coming out. And that understanding can be at any level you feel comfortable with. But you could ask me right now, money I have coming in and coming out and I can give you that down to the penny, right? That's my personal choice. But understanding that month to month is so, so important. So be consistent, start somewhere. Don't live beyond your means, but treat yourself along the way of your financial journey. 
and then always understand the money you have coming in versus the money you have coming out. If I could, if I could talk to anybody in an elevator pitch in 30 seconds and give them a financial um, literacy action items or themes, those would be the four that I would give them. Yeah, and, and I appreciate it, especially with the um, start somewhere, right? Because that's, um, I think a lot of times, especially if we're looking at that scenario where it's the worst ever, um, you're, you're kind of have no clue what's going on and you're like, well, shit, where now? What now? Um, so the way you said hitting those rainy day funds, but consistent, just consistent, just throwing the money. So when I was thinking about it, right, if I'm in that worst scenario, I'm paying my minimums, I'm putting money away, I have my solid budget or at least a good outline, and I've kind of trimmed the fat of Netflix, Hulu, Disney Plus, uh, cigarettes, let's call it too many beers, right? I'm still slicing more. Uh, too many water burgers. That's always my, that's my favorite uh, metaphor, right? When uh, I'm like, oh, I want to buy this, and, and everybody does it. You see, like an app on your phone, and it's twenty bucks, and they're like, holy shit, that's expensive. Uh-huh. I was like, that's three water burgers, man. Just relax. That's three water burgers this month. <laughs> like, who cares, right? Um, I think that so you're those- saying what you're saying is, Aaron, money does budget isn't necessarily in dollars, but it's a number of water burgers. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's water burger, <laughs> and it's because I hate. I say it because I hate water burger, but I know we love it here in Texas. I hate it so much um but yeah I, I always think about it in terms of that and um or you can do it in starbucks that's like five starbucks and then you're like holy shit that's expensive for a cup of coffee um when i could be making my own pressed beautiful beautifulness uh every morning right so um i think man i i am certainly leaving here a lot smarter but before we go I know that you asked me a question when it came down to retirement and I knew we we're going to revisit it from yes. the beginning. Right. Um, uh-huh. And it kind of, I, I want to give you my understanding and my outlook on it, but I, I have a question back. Yeah. To you, right. Cause so you asked me about pre-tax versus post-tax Roth retirement. Um, sorry, mm-hmm. I think I got it backwards, but um, let me give you a two part here. Let's, let's turn okay. the tables a little bit. I'll ask you the question. You give me your answer and then we'll, we'll get into it. So okay. the reason I wanted to kind of go about it this way is because I feel like, like we talked about retirement in the beginning, it's an important concept. I think it's one of the more, more fundamental ones we talked about today, but I also think it's one of the more complex or convoluted concepts out there from a finance perspective, but also from a strategy perspective. So somebody who, who you said yourself in the beginning doesn't really know a lot about finances, but is starting to care about it because you know you have to. What is your understanding of retirement when it comes to pre-tax options and post-tax options? Let's start with that question. Okay. So whenever I took a look at at least my my personal retirement, which is the thrift savings plan, the government federal retirement plan, um, it is all I chose to do the Roth, right? For the simple reason that I don't want to worry about. To, I, I want to make it simple, right? And I hope I think we kind of should we should have discussed that for for it to, like make your plan simple when it comes to dealing with your money. Um, so I didn't want to deal and let me know if I got this wrong, right? It's going to be a pre-taxed uh, money going into my account, right? I'm not wrong. Okay, good. So 
Uh, well, we'll throw in a caveat here. So okay. the concept of a Roth is traditionally a post-tax retirement vehicle. But over the last five to 10 years, there's been a new concept called a Roth 401k, right. which I think is what you are talking about. Yes. So anytime you see 401k in your retirement, that is going to be a pre-tax retirement vehicle. Right. So that is, I chose that just to simplify my life. I know like what I have is what I get, right? So when I start thinking about this and I start doing a little bit more research after you asked me, I kind of started looking at the other way and I'm like, okay, why would I even want post-tax, right? Whether in everything that I've kind of gleaned from the little bit of research I got to do is if you want more liquid capital right now, either for investing or you just want to live a little bit better lifestyle, but it doesn't make sense to me why you wouldn't want the pre-taxed. So I wanted to kind of caveat back to you, right? Why it doesn't make any sense to me or, or even for that matter, having both. What that does, yep. that doesn't make sense to me why I would ever want pre and post together in my retirement situation. Yeah. All right. Let's keep this simple. Um, you want both and you need both when you retire. And I'll explain why with this scenario, but in terms of which you should do, in the simplest form, think about it this way. If you contribute to a pre-tax account, a 401k through work or, uh, or your own individual contributions, if you're contributing to a pre-tax account, that is money that is being reduced from what the, the IRS would consider taxable income for you. So let's just say you make 60 grand in a year you contributed 10 grand of that 60 grand to a pre-tax account. Instead of getting taxed on 60 grand, you're getting taxed on 50 grand. So pre-tax contributions give you in the simplest form a tax break, okay? Post-tax contributions, you're not getting a tax break because you're paying taxes on, on those contributions. So your 60 grand would still be your 60 grand. However, the amount of money that makes it into your post-tax retirement account is your money when you're eligible to withdraw it and you don't have to pay a single percent of tax on any amount of money in that account, okay? So pre-tax gives you a tax break, post-tax does not give you a tax break, but it has your future retirement goals in mind. Now, let me tell you why you want both. You want both because you have to understand the value of a tax break now, especially when you're in a situation of financial debt or you're in a situation in which you're trying to free up your free cash flow. Let's just say that you contribute to a pre-tax account. That tax break you get gives you, I don't know, let's just say it gives you a free $2,000 extra a year that you're saving on not paying taxes because of that contribution. That's $2,000 that then goes to your free cash flow like we talked about earlier. That's $2,000 that you have to figure out a way to incorporate into your budget. That's $2,000 that you can start to pay off your debt using the snowball effect over the course of the year, of course, right? So that is an important concept. But at the same time, why do you want both? Let's say you're retired, you're living a decent life. You say, you know what? I worked my ass off for 40 years. I want 100 grand a year in my retirement. That's going to be the money I want to live on. Let's say you take that 100 grand and you pull it all out of your only retirement account, which is your pre-tax retirement account. You are going to have to pay taxes on that hundred grand when you take it out. 
as if you made a hundred grand that year as a working individual. So whatever the tax mm -hmm. brackets are, you're paying taxes on that hundred grand. Now, let's say you diversified a little and over the course of your career, you invested in both pre-tax and post-tax. Now, what you can say is I want a hundred grand, but I want 80 grand of it out of my post-tax account, my Roth, and I want 20 grand of it out of my pre-tax account. So now you're living off of $100,000 because you deserve it, but you're only paying taxes on 20 grand. So think of okay. Roth, right. think of Roth as taxes you're paying now for luxuries to get later. Think of pre-tax as money you're freeing up now to provide you with more free cash flow. But at the same time, you are going to have to pay taxes on it when you withdraw. So that is why you want to blend. Now, I said 80-20. That blend could be 60-40. That blend could be whatever you want it to be, right? But the idea is that flexibility gives you the ability to live a larger lifestyle than you want, but only pay taxes on a small portion of it. And of course, assuming people our age are fortunate enough to get Social Security, you'll have that chunk of money coming in as well, right? So you'll have to figure out that plus maybe you have other investments and things like that. But the nature of pre and post tax, to me, the perfect blend is a little bit of both. And depending on your financial situation, if you need more money now, skew towards pre-tax. If you don't necessarily need more money now and you're okay paying a little bit more taxes uh, and, and, and uh, not having as much money come to your paycheck, then skew a little towards the Roth and the post-tax way. Again, that's understanding your financial goals and, and journey, but that's how I would categorize it. So it, it looks, it feels like an ebb and flow whenever we're talking about it, right? Like I'm ready to buy a house or I'm planning to buy a house within the next three years. It would behoove me to switch to a, a uh, what we'll call it a post-tax for yes. that amount of time so that I have more mm -hmm. free cash flow and I can start funneling money, funneling money towards that goal is that in my understanding the home yep okay yes yep correct okay you see because now this kind of blows my mind because now i feel like when you said long-term strategy this is like um it, it's almost like guaranteeing at least later that i'm going to be set mm -hmm. right yeah. let me ask you this plain devil's advocate what if and i've heard this before which is why i ask you what if i feel like i'm never going to retire Right. And so I don't care about a retirement account. I want to live the good life now and I'll figure that shit out later. I, I'm sure that probably like triggered you in some way. Um, what do you say to those people? Right. What do you say to those people? What What is something right? Because it, it sounds like because it could totally work out. Or it's, right. Um... It's 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 too to use an economics term. It's too laissez-faire for me. It's too carefree. It's too not necessarily knowing where you're going to be. But let's assume. Let me put that bias aside. Let's assume that that's the way you want to live your life. That's perfectly fine. Okay. What I would then say is, if you don't care about your retirement as much, then take whatever ounce of 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 care that you might have towards the retirement and put it towards budgeting and saving. You can easily be the person with half a million dollars in their savings account making 3% a year. And that's fine with me. But if you're not gonna care about retirement, care enough to, to do things in your day-to-day -to -day, today, that that way, when you get to the age of retirement, you still have some form 
of, of money to live off of, right? And I'll even challenge you, if you don't care about retirement, fine, then care about getting out of debt. Because when you're out of debt, you have no obligations to send your money anywhere. And if you have no obligations to send your money anywhere, that means you can budget and save. And if you can save, then you get to retirement and you, and you might be fine, right? But where, where my bias is going to come back in is simple math. If you don't care about your retirement as a principle, okay. But care about it from a mathematics perspective. Again, going back to the, to the eight-year rule that I mentioned, right? If you just say, I want 100 grand in my retirement by the time I'm 40, you don't care about it, whatever. By the time you're 40, if you want 100 grand, by the time you are 56, that's going to be almost half a million dollars, $400,000, right? That money alone, if it should be enough to support you if you don't care about retirement and you're saving now. The other thing I will say is if you don't, if you don't care about your retirement, that, that's, that's fine. But at the same time, work your way to when you do retire, you have a house that you own, you have a car that's already paid off, and you have money saved aside to support whatever lifestyle you want to, right? To me, retirement and a, and, a, and a mortgage that's paid off are synonymous. I would never encourage anybody to retire with a mortgage still on the books, because then you're taking money that you've allocated over time and you're sending it off to to again, to, to a, a, a debt that you owe. So that, that's, that would be my take on it. Um, I, I, would, I would challenge anyone who doesn't believe in retirement to uh, reach out to me and I'll change your mind. Like I said, when I talked to my buddy Q, he, did, he wasn't contributing to his retirement. Now he's well on his way to his financial journey, um, but to each their own, you know? Right. So the reason I asked that is because I can it's, it's almost like in our culture, right? Like I, I don't trust the banks or whatever. I'm going to put my money under my mattress type of thing. Uh, and then what, right? So whenever, I, whenever you brought up retirement, which is why I keep going back to it, it's it, when you said that long-term strategy, it just seems like a better use of your money that would otherwise just be sitting there and you're losing out, right? Like kind of losing out with the, your company's matching, you're losing out on it, right? So like I said, trying to simplify it to where it makes sense. Um, and so now I have a lot more homework and I think what yeah. I, what I want to ask you next, um, at least for hopefully something that we can dive into is maybe I don't want to retire, but I want to have, let's say, cause I know you brought up mortgage as your medium for, for once you at this point, okay, you can retire. Right. But you mean it as that's your biggest money sink, right? That's your biggest form of debt vice having like a business where that would, would you mm -hmm. say that that would end up being like your biggest form of debt, but then you can't retire because now you're running right. a business, right? So what I want to ask you next is uh, I want to start going into uh, passive income and developing those kinds uh, yep. of techniques. Um, but again, making it so simple that a dummy like me who doesn't care, but knows he needs to care um, can yep. start addressing and building some habits towards. So um, yeah, man, I, I really appreciate your time. I hope this, I mean, this helped me. I hope this helps, um, other people and, uh, yeah, man, I appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for having me, man. I, I will echo the sentiment that I hope, you know, we've been talking for maybe just a little under an hour now. If, if you take away anything from today is that everybody's journey is different. Everybody's going to go about it a different way, whatever way you choose to go about it 
be fundamental, be sound, be consistent. You have to start somewhere. And at the end of the day, it seems like an uphill battle for five years. I guarantee you when you get to the other side of that and being financially free, all of those coffees that you skipped out on, all of those water burgers you didn't have, it will be worth it. And you will be able to do that and so much more. And it's easy for me to say as someone that's on the other side of it, but I would just encourage you to take a weekend, make a budget, assess your financial situation. If you have some significant partner in your life, talk it through with them and just start somewhere. Set immediate goals, set long-term goals and work your way through the process. And hopefully at the end of that, you're retiring with both a Roth and a 401k on a, on a beach house somewhere in Europe. And uh, you're, you're appreciating the, the sacrifices and hard work that you made throughout your career to get yourself. Awesome, man. I appreciate it. I hope we talk again. Um, I know it's, it's kind of a little bit of work on the front end, but I appreciate your time. Cause I wanted to, I wanted you to understand how much I care about it and how much I don't know about it. I'll, I'll just yeah. be, you know yeah. what I mean? I want to just be upfront. I don't know yeah. shit. So I want to make sure that it, I'm at least set up. So thanks again, man. Awesome, man. Yeah. If you want, uh, whoever, whoever's listening, if you want to share my email with them, um, this is, like I said, in the beginning, this is something I'm really passionate about and I don't mind spending five, 10 minutes to point someone in the right direction, tell them how to get started or even answer any follow-up questions that they might have. So happy to do. That. Awesome. All right. Well, appreciate it, brother. Thanks.